Welcome to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll put to rest any lingering doubt about the left's desire to control everything. We have a Lord Fauci decree. We'll tackle term and age limits for legislators. And we'll have some good news about how we are winning. Next, on Living with Liberty. doubts that the left wants nothing more to control everything, Elon Musk's offer to buy Twitter should put that to rest. The meltdown of this whole event has been glorious, from managers there at Twitter saying they would not listen to Musk's, that they wouldn't do anything he wanted them to do. (laughs) Good luck with that. Pretty sure it's not a good idea to ignore the boss's directives. We've had some saying they will go to Canada. Yeah, about that. We are still waiting for Rosie O'Donnell and company to make good on their promise after Trump was elected. To those claiming it would be a threat to democracy if Musk were to have total control over Twitter. One such clown claiming the latter is Max Boot of Washington Compost fame. Funny how he didn't seem to have a problem with Jeffy B buying the compost. Yet he takes a major issue with Musk potentially buying out Twitter. Here's what Boot tweeted out. He says this, I am frightened by the impact on society and politics if Elon Musk acquires Twitter. He seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. First off, I don't know who is more afraid of things. Gazelles being chased by lions or leftists? I'm sure they wish the lockdowns were still on so they wouldn't have to contend with their shadows when they ventured out. Boot is frightened by the impact on society if Musk takes over Twitter? Why? Because the truth would be more freely publicized? The truth would actually be publicized? Is it because worldviews that challenged Boot's own narrow-mindedness and to a certain degree, single-mindedness, would be allowed in more volume on Twitter? Is it because tweets and tweeters will no longer be banned because they hurt someone's feelings? Buddha's afraid there would be a loss of narrative control. That is what he is afraid of. That's what the left is afraid of. Elon Musk taking over Twitter would represent a blow to their control over the narrative. Or I should say attempt to control. I think there's still way uh, a 
ton of outlets out there where people can still get the truth, get their news, and then go back on Twitter and and uh, write the misinformation that gets thrown about out there. But it's it's an outlet. It's it makes the left feel powerful that they can take somebody out of the town square with the couple keystrokes. That's what they're afraid of. That's what Boot's afraid of. It's the loss of narrative control. Boot is afraid that the bad orange man might come back to the dirty bird cesspool and start speaking truth and hurting feelings again. He's afraid conservative ideas may start to propagate freely on Twitter again, exposing his dumbassery and making him look foolish for some of the positions he's taken um, in his multitude of tweets. Now, I did a quick scroll through his Twitter page, and it reveals a couple things. One, Boot is incapable of any sort of free thought. It's all CNN and Democrat talking points. He would fit nicely in uh, with the Borg from Star Trek. And if you don't know about the Borg or what the Borg are about from Star Trek, go find a YouTube clip. You'll immediately understand what that means. Two, he doesn't seem to have an actual job other than tweeting about how frightened he is of things. Three, his proudest moment seems to be uh, when he was a Pulitzer Prize finalist for a book he wrote three years ago. He has that pinned to the top of his profile. It's been there for three years. Now, credit where credit is due, he was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for biographies. I haven't. I freely admit that. And that nomination, I mean, for whatever it's worth these days, it's a, you know, it seems like all these nominations for these prizes and awards don't really mean much these days. And, I mean, who knows at this point? Who knows who beat him out that year? It could have been the story of how Stan became Ann that beat him out. But the bigger point is, who leaves something pinned to the top of their, their Twitter page for three years that is a reminder that they were second best? Who does that? Narcissists detach from reality. That's who. Now, the second part of the tweet here is the frame of mind the left has, and it's the one we should be most concerned about. I don't care what they're afraid of. They can be afraid of everything. They proved that throughout the whole COVID pandemic. But the second part is what we need to be cognizant of. We need to be uh, vigilant in battling back against In order to preserve our democracy, we must have more content moderation, Boots says. Never mind that we got to the point we are as a country by being able to have free and open dialogue and a free and open exchange of ideas. Pay no attention to that little fact. Max Boot wants you to forget about that, actually. No, no, in order for democracy to survive, we need to moderate content because, you know, there might be ideas that are counter to what the left is pushing, and that will hurt some feelings. The truth might get out, and the truth hurts feelings. We can't have that. Now, the point is, the point of all this is, and this is why we need to be uh, really cognizant of, of statements like Max Boot made here, where we need more content moderation, not less, and that more content moderation is what's going to enable our democracy to survive, The reason we need to be cognizant of that is these people on the left want an authoritarian government that's telling people what they can and cannot do. And this is for a few reasons, I believe. One, they want that because they cannot handle free thought. They cannot handle the the idea that someone out there would want something different than they do, that would think something different than they do, that would actually run their life a different way than they would. They can't handle that. They can't handle free thought. They can't handle a multitude of uh, positions and and ideas and and uh, wanting uh, taking one side on an issue and then being able to take the other side and uh, on an issue and see both sides. They can't handle that. They don't do that themselves. They're they're seemingly incapable of doing that. You look through Max Boots. Twitter feed, it's obvious that he can't do that. They cannot handle debating the merits of something because they have no original thoughts. It's whatever the experts feed, whatever our overlords feed down as a narrative, we must take and run with that 
and I'm going to use the Borg reference here because resistance is futile in their eyes. In their eyes, in the left's eyes, in people like Max Boot's eyes, the only approved thoughts are the ones their cherished experts propagate, and then they go and parrot. Those are the only thoughts that have merit and the only thoughts for consideration. Anything outside that is a threat to democracy in their eyes. They've gotten to this point where they have just such an elitist thinking that their way is the only way, that there's not multiple paths to a thriving constitutional republic. It's not even a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. They, they can't handle the fact that there, are, there are, are more than one road. There's more than one road that leads to prosperity here. And uh, most often it's not the road they're on and that pisses them off. So that's why they've got to, they've got to take their perpetual unhappiness and, and make it rain down on the rest of us. When pushed on other points of view, they don't know how to respond because their expert told them what to think and that they should only listen to their expert. They don't, uh, they, they were never told they were never given the option maybe they were never encouraged to think about uh, alternative uh, alternative options or alternative methods or 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 alternative points of view they listened to their experts the max boots of the world do not understand what it takes to save a democracy or i should say our constitutional republic and therefore, they should not be taken seriously. We should do all we can to discredit them. We should do all we can to bring the truth forward. We should do all we can to defend the Constitution, to utilize the Constitution in our, in our arguments against this, the, the, just this absurd notion that we need more content moderation to save our democracy or to save democracy. We have to be aware of what is going on. We have to be aware of what they say. And we have to work to debunk it immediately. Unfortunately, clowns like Boot have large followings. And we need to expose them for, for the purveyors of misinformation that they are. Now, you aren't likely to change the mind of whatever mindless drone is following someone like Max Boot. You're not going to change Max Boot's mind. Uh, uh, you know, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. But there are others out there. There are others who peek in on these conversations. There are those people who are seeking information. They're, they're trying to put the puzzle together for themselves. And if you give them the alternate view, if you give them the flip side, if you give them the truth to the lies that get propagated by people like Max Boot and CNN and the Washington Compost and, you know, the list goes on and on of these just awful media outlets. You put the truth out there. You give the alternate point of view. You give people something to think about. You may be able to steer that person in the right direction. You will have given them uh, the, the seed. You have, will have planted the seed that they'll go forth with and as they're forming their opinions and that they'll then check things out for themselves and that they'll then be emboldened, hopefully, after they check things out for themselves and verify that, yes, indeed, what you have put out there is true, to go out and spread the truth themselves. That is why we have to fight back and on the people like Max Boot who are putting out ridiculous statements like we need more content moderation because that's the only way to save the country. That is why you we put that out there with a free exchange of ideas is how we got here. We make people understand that. We give them that outlet. And then they go forth and spread that more and it soon becomes it soon becomes just a, a, a field, a harvest of people thinking for themselves and working towards a common goal of restoring our republic.
Okay, moving on. Lord Fauci has proclaimed that we must now be ready to just live with the coronavirus. He now says that we must now uh, evaluate the risks for ourselves and determine our own risk tolerance. Yeah, all right. So it's pretty much like every other thing I do in life. I go and walk across the street to my mailbox. I evaluate the risk of that and the risk of being get hit by a car. I evaluate the risk of getting in my car and driving somewhere. What's the likelihood I'm going to die? So going out and evaluating the risk when there's coronavirus outbreak going on and what that means for my life. And Fauci's just now catching up with what a bunch of us have already been doing and what I've been saying for a while that it's, it's not going away. It's here to stay. We need to live with it. Well, you know what? I I say this, I say, thanks for the permission to return to my regularly scheduled life. Tony, I had already been doing that. Now here's what old Tony had to say about, uh, about living with COVID. He said this, this is not going to be eradicated and it's not going to be eliminated. Fauci told ABCs this week. And what's going to happen is that we're going to see that each individual is going to have to make their calculation of the amount of risk they want to take. Well, looks like it'll be no change in how I live then. The only thing I've been evaluating is whether I'm going to tolerate some place's dumbass mandate or not. Hint, the choice more often than not has been, I haven't. I have not flown anywhere nor considered flying anywhere in the last couple of years. I've done my best to patronize businesses that have respected a person's right to their own bodily autonomy. I've evaluated my own risk tolerance and decided that I am not at a huge risk for serious COVID complications or a serious COVID infection. Yes, I did get the plague and it is what I thought it would be a nuisance for a few days. Yes, I got treatment. I did the protocol. I did the ivermectin and then the the, uh, vitamin protocol. But I was able to make that determination. I didn't need some unelected bureaucrat telling me what to do, how to do it, what I could and couldn't do. I didn't need some out-of-touch Washington bubble doctor telling me what's going on with my life. You don't even know. It's These general broad strokes are, are insane and they're ridiculous. People are smart enough to figure things out for themselves. The silver lining from COVID is it has exposed just how big of a foothold the wannabe Xi Jinping's have in our government. They've been exposed and now we need to root them out. These people are 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 just a cancer on our our government. We need to get them out of government. And it, we it's we have to get the root of it. If you it's like weeding a garden. If you just pluck the top off, it's going to grow back. You have to dig down and get the root. And that's why we need to elect officials that are going to continue to dig down, dig deep, poke into things like Hunter's laptop, poke into business dealings, dig around in what Fauci knew and didn't know, dig into his emails, and root these corruptocrats out. It's our government, we the people's government, we elect the leaders to represent us and make our laws. We elect people to do that. We hire people to do that. These bureaucrats at most, at most, should have an advisory role and no authority to make rules or issue mandates, period. We did not elect them to do this for us. They aren't even accountable to us. They're accounted to our elected officials who don't do anything when they screw up. That's the problem. These bureaucrats have no accountability. They do what they want. They've been given power because our legislators didn't want it, because it was... uh, I'm politically toxic at times to have to make these kinds of decisions. So they punted it to somebody that isn't elected to office to do it for them. 
We need to push our legislators to take that power back. These bureaucrats weren't elected by us. Our legislators were. And we need to hold them accountable. We need to elect legislators that are going to go in and say, I'm going to strip the powers of these bureaucracies to make rules and mandates that affect people. Their role only is to be advisory to the legislators, and we are going to take it under advisement and make the rules and mandates like we are supposed to do, like we are constitutionally appointed and obligated to do. It's ridiculous that they punted these responsibilities to, to unelect, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. Now, even with his statement on saying we have to evaluate our own risk profile, our own risk tolerance, of course there was more in this story. Of course, Fauci continues to lie. Of course, he says, well, go get your vaccine. Go go." Get your booster, get your 8,254th booster. That's the only way to really ensure protection. It's, it's going to be the best way against future, uh, future variants, which we know is a lie because we had Omicron come along and the vaccine did nothing. We had people getting sick with Delta and they had been thrice vaccinated thrice therapeutically injected. So I've, I've got one, one other little statement here uh, among many that he lied about in this piece. And this is what Fauci had to say about the current state of coronavirus infections. He said this. He said, while there is concern that we are seeing an uptick in cases, it's not Unexpected that you're going to see an uptick when you pull back on the mitigation methods. Now, let's think about the mitigation methods for a minute and how effective those were. What did the mitigation methods do? They prevented people from catching it and prevented people from getting uh, natural immunity, which as study after study comes out, says that's the best immunity. So... Yeah, you start putting people who weren't sick out in the population where, let's be real, people that are sick aren't staying home, right? They're going, if they have, if they have to go out, they're going to go out. They might be sick, whether they're sick or not, they're going to go out and do what they need to do. Of some, some will stay home. I think the vast majority stay home if they're sick. They're, they're going to do what's right for, for people, for society. But you still have those that don't. You still have it floating out there anyway. So the the mitigation methods, all it did was uh, delay people from getting sick from this this virus running in mass through the population. That's all the mitigation methods did. The other, uh, from a from a prevention standpoint. Now, what the mitigations, uh, mitigation methods did do was show that the people, you know, were like the emperor with no clothes. You throw something out there that you make it bad enough and say it's life-threatening, people are going to do anything. The, so the mitigation methods just show that from that standpoint, people are going to just blindly follow along you know, because now it's a life-threatening thing. And, and we're going to keep doing it. And then you keep hammering it on uh, on the, the different media outlets. And, and people, you know, they, they go into mindless drone mode. They don't, they, they don't check anything out. And, and now you've, you've got a source of division. That, that's what the mitigation methods did. It's, it didn't prevent any illness. It, it just showed that the left that they could get away with locking people down and they just blindly comply. Now, of course, the other piece here, it's the, the uptick in illnesses. I had to go and check that out because the trend has been that COVID is a, a, a seasonal disease. We know the ebb and flow of it. We've, we've been, we've got two years of data now. We know when it's going to peak, when it's going to valley. 
So I took a look at the CDC website. I took a look at the COVID numbers. Guess what I found? Case trend has been flat for weeks now. Have the daily case, uh, daily case numbers, the actual raw data, if you will, fluctuated? Absolutely. Absolutely they have. You had some days where it's 50,000 cases, somewhere it's 30, somewhere it's 20. They're going to fluctuate like that. So you can't really look at day by day and say, well, there's an upward trend in, in cases because there's not. The, the overall trend line on the CDC's uh, website is flat. But, and this is, goes back to what I've said before, they, you, you have to look at what they're trying to do when they give you the numbers. If the raw numbers are more advantageous, they will give you the raw numbers. Otherwise, it's always percentages because percentages always make things really look really bad or really good. 66%. That could look really bad or really good because 66% is a big number, right? You need 66% of the senators in order to override a veto or 66% of of, uh, the House and the Senate to override a veto, a presidential veto. So, you know, it's a... It's a pretty good number, but what if that 66% two out of three, it's not as meaningful as if it's 2,000 out of 3,000. So what I would think here is Fauci's looking at these raw numbers and sees these fluctuations, and yeah, they're, they're uh, saying they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're trending up. Well, the overall trend line is still flat because you have to take the average. You can't go day to day and say, oh, well, yeah, we're increasing in the COVID numbers. All this is, and what Fauci and company, well, Fauci just wants to stay relevant. He's, he's, he, he's been gone because the whole COVID thing finally collapsed on itself. He's been exposed for a freaking liar he is. But Fauci and company want to continue to try to keep pushing this narrative. His Democrat op- operatives are telling him to keep pushing this narrative. So that's why he'll try and point to the raw numbers being higher instead of the overall trend. But the overall trend is what we need to pay attention to. COVID fear is all they have left to try and control people. COVID fear is all they have left to try and create distractions and diversions from the absolute debacle the, the administration has been, that our government bureaucracies are. COVID is what they have right now. Everything else is is falling apart. But people aren't buying it anymore. The people are done. We've seen it. You've got more people on the left saying, I I did all the things. I did all the things you experts said I should do. And I still got sick. I got jabbed 8,000 times. I had 14 masks on. I wore a bubble suit. I stayed inside. I missed family gatherings and I still got sick or my family still got sick. My business collapsed. People aren't buying it anymore. Even those that were, were maybe amenable to everything that was going on from a, 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 our rights and liberties being stripped standpoint, because it was for the good of everybody. But people aren't buying it anymore. They see the lies. They see through it. Americans are too smart. People across the world are too smart, for that matter. We're not going to take it anymore. And all we can hope is that we have seen the last of Lord Fauci, now that he has decreed that we shall now just have to live doing our own risk assessments. Okay. Moving on to term limits and age limits for our elected officials, for our legislators. We need term limits and age limits for our legislators. Father time comes for everyone. Our abilities and decision-making skills decline over time. It's a fact of life. Our cognitive abilities, our ability to reason, to make good decisions, declines over time. There's no getting around it. It, they just do. And it's because of this, because we can't outrun biology, it's the reason that the, the, the demonstrated 
uh, cognitive decline that we all encounter at some point in life. It's the reason many corporations put an age limit on their CEOs and senior executives. They don't want people that are 85 years old making decisions for the company that, that could sink the company. You know, at that level, the decisions made at that level could sink the company. That That's the reality, and that's why they put age limits on on CEOs and, and the senior executives. And depending on the job, there's even age limits on uh, non-executive type jobs, like commercial airline pilots who are forced to retire at age 65, and air traffic controllers who must retire at age 56. Those jobs that require split-second thinking, those jobs that require and demand uh, an extreme focus, have ages, age limits that you must retire at. And I think that's fair. Shouldn't we have that same set of considerations in place that they do in the private sector? for elected officials who are making decisions that affect us all as a country, that, that they're, especially when they're 80, 85 years old and they're thinking about they're stuck 35 years ago when they first entered the government, uh, their governmental office. And they, they, they think those problems that plagued us then are the same ones they have that we have today. It's because they hang on to it. So do we, shouldn't we have, Considerations in place for elected officials on an age limit who are making decisions that affect us as a country as well as global politics. Now, my grandfather is 96 years old, and he's still very sharp. But I wouldn't want him in a position where he has to make decisions that would affect the life of people, that would affect our country. I know many other senior citizens who are still very sound mind, very sharp, still doing a lot of, of volunteer work or leading classes, doing things like that, staying active, have a lot of valuable wisdom and, and life experience to impart. They're still very cognitively there, but that doesn't mean they should be in positions where they're making high-pressure decisions. Especially when you're talking about our government, well, where you have the House, well, it's two years. I mean, that's that's not as long of a time, but the Senate, you're in there for six. The presidency is four years. Leading uh, the Supreme Court, being on the Supreme Court, that's a lifetime appointment. Leading bureaucracies, I mean, hell, Fauci's 80. Now, the latest questions to be raised about all this and what's bringing this about is, is there's, uh, there's some questions about Dianne Feinstein's cognitive ability. I have a couple of New York Post articles. I'll link them in the description box. One is about how Democrats are trying to persuade Feinstein to retire before, before her term ends in 2024. She's currently 88 years old. She was 12. When World War II ended, she was 12 when World War II ended. Think about that. World War II ended almost 80 years ago. Feinstein is also on record saying she would run again in 2024. She'd be 91 years old at that point. Why would anyone want to be doing anything but sitting on their porch Enjoying life at 91 years old. I certainly wouldn't want to be in Washington, D.C. Fighting in that swamp every day. Why? Who do you owe that you're, you're saying, I'm going to run again at 91? Now, how bad is it getting for Feinstein? I have a, an excerpt from one of the, the New York Post articles here. Um, the first one starts out with a quote from a Democrat senator. It goes like this. It's bad and it's getting worse. 
one Democratic senator told the San Francisco Chronicle. So it's bad and it's getting worse. So then why, if it's bad and it's getting worse, I mean, we we don't have a 25th Amendment for senators, I guess, but if it's that obvious, why isn't anybody doing anything about it? Now, this this uh, excerpt goes on here from the, the New York Post piece. It, go, it goes on and uh, outlines um, something, uh, uh, another uh, another point of view, I guess you could call it, from um, uh, that was that was um, written in the San Francisco Chronicle, and it goes like this: said the San Francisco Chronicle also reported that a member of California's congressional delegation who has known Feinstein for 15 years, recently had to reintroduce themselves to her repeatedly over a discussion lasting several hours. Sounds like dementia to me. I had a grandmother that had it. I remember having to do the same thing. Even my 96-year-old grandpa, I've got to remind him of some things sometimes. He's still sharp, like I said, but it's 96. This representative went on and, and continued on, said this about Feinstein. I have worked with her for a long time and long enough to know that she was uh, just a few years ago, uh, always in command, always on char- in charge, on top of details, basically couldn't resist a conversation where she was driving some bill or idea. The lawmaker goes on, says, all of that is gone. She was an intellectual and political force that not long ago, and that's why my encounter with her was so jarring, because there was just no trace of that. So Feinstein's mind is gone. Like this legislator that was, um, that knew her, that's known her for, what they say, 15 years, said I didn't even recognize her anymore. She asked me several times. I had to remind her of my name several times. You know what? When it goes, it goes quick. We don't know when it's when the, the the cognitive abilities are going to go. We could wake up tomorrow and it could be go. It could be a slow uh, downhill to, uh, ride, or it could go quick off a cliff. But when it goes, it it can go quick, and that's what seem seemingly has happened to Diane Feinstein here. Now the reports are that. Feinstein's staff does much of the work. It's not even her doing the work anymore. It's it's her staff covering for her. I can only assume that when it comes time to vote on bills and issues, her staff gives her cue cards so she remembers how to vote. She may have still been sharp a few years ago, but when a person gets up there in years, when we age, it's unknown at what point and to what uh, what end our cognitive ability is going to decline and if it's going to just kind of slowly erode over time or is it just going to go off a, like like it's going off a cliff? When we age, we don't know that. Now, I liken all this to an athlete and how their career arc is. There are very few athletes that play at a high level late in their career. It's the body goes, It's especially when you're an athlete, you've been doing, uh, playing baseball, football, whatever it may be for certainly all your adult life, probably much of your childhood as well in teenage years. There's a point where your body says no more. Most athletes see their productivity fall off a cliff. They might have a good season the year before, uh, uh, call it a normal season for them. Some even have career years the year before the decline happens, but then there's a point where the body just says no more and it starts to slow down and it starts to break down. You start to not be able to hit that fastball anymore. You start to not be able to separate from that cornerback in football. If you're a wide receiver, it just happens. Now for me, that was when I was about 35. I I played sports for years. I played softball for years, multiple nights a week for years. And then I hit 35 and I wasn't getting to the balls out in the field the way I used to, which isn't a good thing when you're the youngest guy on a 35 and over team. They stick you in the outfield when you're the youngest guy on a 35 and over team. 
And I couldn't get to the balls in the outfield that I used to when I was even two years prior, three years prior. I could have kept playing, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to play at the level I wanted to, so I hung up my cleats. Admittedly, an ankle injury that did that I didn't want to have surgically repaired made the decision even easier. Um, sometimes those decisions get made for you. I, I still hit well. I still could run a little bit. But I couldn't run down balls in the outfield. I couldn't run out as many infield hits as I used to be able to. It happens. The same thing happens with our minds. They decline. Just like our bodies decline, our physical prowess declines, so do our minds. We may stay pretty sharp when we are in our 80s or 90s. That certainly happens. I just outlined my grandfather, and I know many others that are, that are 70, 80 years old that very sharp still but also still get very easily confused because our minds decline. And we might, like I said, we might be sharp still when we're in our 80s or 90s, but we won't be as sharp as when we were in our 30s, 40s, 50s, even our 60s, maybe even our 70s. That's just the hard reality we need to face. As we age, our bodies and our minds decline. And now in a case like Feinstein, her constituents should be concerned about who is making the decisions. They elected her to be their representative, not her staff. And this isn't an issue that will just go away. It's not just Diane Feinstein. We know about Biden. And honestly, there's several octogenarians in our government that we could see the same precipitous drop in cognitive ability. I mean, just listen to a Pelosi press conference. Some of them make me wonder if she's not entirely there anymore. We do a disservice to, to not only the people these elected officials represent. It's not only a disservice to us, the people, when we have somebody in office who's obviously cognitively impaired, isn't making sound judgments uh, and decisions anymore, we, we do a disservice letting them stay in office. So, yeah, it's a disservice not only to us when that happens, but also the official themselves when they are in obvious decline and we don't do anything about it. They may have been a fantastic public servant for many years. And maybe what people will remember is is what they accomplished in office. But there's always going to be in that back of the mind that they didn't walk out. They didn't give it up when they were on top of their game. They were forced out when they were made horrible decisions. And it was obvious that they, they were making horrible decisions. They, they, and they didn't give it up on their own. I mean, what's going to be the Joe Biden legacy? That he was an obvious cognitive decline, that he couldn't make decisions anymore. That he possibly had some sort of dementia. That's I'm not a doctor, but the signs are there. I think those of us that have had uh, family members with dementia know the signs. We can see it. We... we these people deserve dignity when they get to this point. And, and someone saying, no, you're done. We, I don't care how long you, they've been in office. If they can't do the job anymore, they, they, need, they need someone that's there that's going to push them out, if, especially when they're not self-aware, like Diane Feinstein doesn't seem to be self-aware. You know, given the nature of work and the decisions that have to be made by elected officials, and the pressure that they're under at times to make those decisions. I, it's not only time to put term limits in place for them, but age limits as well. It, it protects them, it protects us, and it protects our country. Like I said, companies do it. And there's a reason they do it. Isn't, isn't our country, you know, they, the companies do it because these, especially at the top levels, those decisions can bring the company down. 
what do you think will happen with our elected officials? Our elected officials are making decisions that could bring our country down. They are making decisions that bring our country down. Look at Biden and the decisions he's made so far that have really, really given us a black eye on the world stage. We have to have, I don't think it's unreasonable to put age limits in place. And certainly, you know, let's start with the term limits. We have to start somewhere. Start at term limits. Because you got the Feinsteins and the Pelosi's and I'll even throw our side out there, the Shelby's and the Grassley's, Schumer's, whoever. They, they've been in office way too long. Our government wasn't made, wasn't set up for people to come and make a career out of being a senator or a representative. It just that that's wasn't the intent. The intent was to be a representative government of, for, and by the people. It's time to put term limits first in place. We knock that out, start working on age limits. All right, on to a little sports world story here. The sports world has become full of overly emotional babies. Don't go calling anyone an mf or in the heat of battle because what will it get you? You guessed it. You'll get called a racist. I have a story here about a little kerfuffle that happened during a San Francisco Giants and San Diego Padres game where Giants first base coach Antoine Richardson and Padres third base coach Mike Schilt had a bit of a back and forth uh, yelling match, I guess. Before Schilt yelled at the Giants' dugout, you need to control that MRFer. Richardson, who is black, which is only important for the context of the rest of this story here, said, At that point in time, I went to the top step and said, Excuse me? Because I couldn't believe what I heard. <laughs> All right. Before I go on, I have, I have to stop here. Is this Richardson's first season in sports? Is this his first season in Major League Baseball? He couldn't believe what he heard? You mean the whole Giants team? You mean just being on the field in Major League Baseball? Nobody on the Giants team or anywhere in whatever stops he's been at has not ever uttered that phrase. They've never said that, MFR. He never heard anybody say that. Spare me the fake outrage here. Uh, come on. But we have a Billy Mays, uh, Billy Mays special here because there's more. Richardson went on to say this. I say this because his words were disproportionately unwarranted and reeked undertones of racism when he referred to me as that mf'er, as if I were to be controlled or a piece of property or enslaved. <laughs> there it is. There it is. The victimhood mentality. Crimea River. Th this is what we've come to. We have here, th this happens in sports all the time. It happens in beer league on up to major league. We had a couple of competing coaches get heated. One calls another an MFR. And now we have an undertones of racism. Give me a break. This is incredibly stupid. This is why we can't have nice things anymore. This is why we can't have funny comedy anymore. This is why Chris Rock is getting slapped on stage. And he said something way milder than this. This is why people are tuning out the cause of everything being racism. This is why people are tuning this kind of crap out, tuning these people out. Too much crying wolf with nothing backing it up. Too much crying wolf, no wolf in sight. Sheep are fine. Someone should remind these MFers that if everything's racist, nothing's racist. It's a Major League Baseball game. I'm sure Richardson isn't the first person to be referred to as that MFer, and he won't be the last. Like I said, this is why comedy isn't funny anymore. This is why late-night TV sucks. This is why our TV shows suck. This is why people have tuned out sports. And this is why Holly Weird's Nights of Narcissism, a.k.a. AKA the Ward shows, have declining viewership. It ain't funny. You can't say anything. Everybody's a victim. You have this fake, fake victimhood. People are just done with it. They're tuning it out. Nobody cares. 
But, as Billy Mays said, but wait, there's more. Richardson had this to say as he as to why he shared his story. I share this story not just for myself, but I share the story for the other people that look like me. I know I've had the full support of my teammates and others, and that I would be letting them down if I did not share this story tonight. Oh my gosh. The victimhood here is so thick, you need a minimum of a machete to cut through it. Maybe when those saws they use, the, the, the saws they attach to like a front end loader or something that they cut down trees with in uh, industrial logging operations. My gosh. I share the story not just for myself, but for the people that look like me. What the hell does that even mean? What You are a coach in Major League Baseball. Act like it. Like you're some sort of a, pre- like you are, because this, Mike Schill called you an MFR, that's, that's, you're, you're now controlled or a piece of property. Give me a break. Put down the 1619 project material and get back in real life here. But this isn't really what this was about. This really wasn't about being called an MFR. This is about being a first base coach in the major leagues. First base coaches get next to no press attention at all. The only time they do is because they maybe screwed something up or they had to take over for the manager that got tossed. Otherwise, they get next to no attention from the media whatsoever. So what happened here, what really happened is Richardson got called a name. He had his feelings hurt and saw that in our given climate right now, even though I think it's declining, but still it hasn't made it all all the way through. The the fact that people are tired, these people that live in their bubble think still still have some thinking here that, um, they, they, that we actually care about this stuff. So he saw an opportunity to get a little face time in the press that he wouldn't get otherwise by crying wolf, by crying the racism wolf. That is all this is about. It has nothing to do with being called an MFR and everything to do with wanting a little media attention. That's what this is really about has nothing to do with an argument between two coaches, has nothing to do with being, you know, the racial undertone. Who, how is being called an F, MF or have a racist undertone? Just ridiculous. This stuff is just, you can't make this up. It's just so stupid. At any rate, we'll put Richardson in the running for the April Dolt of the Month. If you have other stories for Dolt of the Month, other candidates for Dolt of the Month, let me know. Send them to send them to me. Email them to me. Ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Okay, we'll finish up on a positive note. Well, a positive note for we the people anyway. Not so positive for Disney. Disney is feeling some pain, a lot of pain, for their decision to be all in on attempting to indoctrinate our kids into the alphabet clan. People are canceling their trips to the overpriced theme parks and canceling their Disney Plus subscriptions in droves. Now, I said this a show or two ago. Disney has forgotten who their core customer is. They've forgotten that their customer is children. And they've forgotten those children have parents, and parents don't like having their kids indoctrinated with crap, with values that oppose theirs. And parents are standing up and, and and taking action and doing what they need to do. And as a reminder, Disney, what they've done is they uh, very publicly opposed the Florida bill that Ron DeSantis signed, parents' rights bill that prevents the sexualization of kindergartners through third graders. And their opposition, their very public opposition is, coming back to bite them big time, that being Disney. 
Now, I have a post-millennial article. I'll, I'll link in the description box. I just want to read you a couple of these comments. They're, they're absolute gold. All right, so the first comment goes like this. And this is written from, uh, uh, from the post-millennial here. It says, One such parent disgruntled over Disney's turning their back on family-friendly content told the Daily Wire this, I'm not sorry for our decision, and I can't even pity a company for making such a poor decision when they have enough clout to do whatever the hell they want. And that this is the direction they've decided upon. Absolutely. Amen. Disney could do whatever they want. Well, maybe not everything they want because parents are fighting back. And yeah, I wouldn't be sorry for this decision either. We're, we've been done with, with Disney for a while in this house. I don't pity him one bit. This is what we need to have happen. People need to stand up and realize that they have power. Even against these mega corporations, they have power. All right, one other comment I want to I mention here. Uh, this from the, the post-millennial article as well. It said this. Uh, another parent stated, I can't just invest $15,000 or more in a company that so blatantly ignores science and family-friendly entertainment. Beautiful, and i got to say this. Can I go on vacation with them? Who's spending $15,000 on a vacation? Wow. Yeah, I agree. Don't spend that $15,000 on a vacation. Don't spend it on, on a company that's just ignoring science and is ignoring the fact that their core uh, core uh, uh, consumer group is children and families. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. And this is what we need. This real material loss is what we need and it's what will get these companies to change. They don't seem to be learning from one another as to what happens when you go ultra woke. Think about that. One, one family, $15,000 they're not going to spend there. Think about the Disney Plus subscriptions that are 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 being lost now by Disney because people are canceling them. How many thousands of dollars does it take to go and have a week at, at a Disney resort? People save up a long time for this and they're, they're putting their money to, uh, what, I don't know, saving it or, or taking another vacation. I mean, Disney's losing out here. They didn't learn from Coke about what happens when you go ultra woke. The tide is turning for us. We have, we have the power. We, we, we realize that what these companies provide, what does a company like Disney provide that we need in life? Nothing. We don't need Disney's entertainment. We don't need their theme parks. We don't need their movies. It's not essential for life. They don't get that. I think we as people have confused that sometimes that, oh, we I need to go to Disney. I need to have a vacation and it needs to be at Disney. No, you want a vacation and you want it to be at Disney. You don't need to go there. You can pick anywhere you want. You could save that money and do something else with it. It's not a need, it's a want. And people are figuring that out. They're figuring out that a Disney vacation is a want, not a need. Disney Plus is a want. I don't need it. I have multi a multitude of other uh, options to entertain myself. I don't need Disney Plus. And they break the habit. And because of this, because people are going to stand up and take their power back, at the end of the day, money will win out over ideology. Corporations have to survive. And in order to survive, they have to make money. And you know what? These ideologues that are running these asylums right now We'll taste this once enough people pull out, pull their subscriptions back, stop going to Disney theme parks, money dries up, raises aren't as big, raises may be non-existent, bonuses are non-existent, and now all of a sudden, oh, well, that was a bad idea, and I set myself back, you know, the company financially, uh, back financially, because we, we took this path. These companies just take us for granted. They take the consumers for granted that we will keep on consuming their product or service. Unquestioned. We see it as a need, not a want. That's what they bank on. 
the reality is most of what is offered, like I said, is not a, a need but a want. So we do have the power to inflict real material loss on these companies to get them to change. We have the power to say, look, we're just not going to do it until you change. I'm not going to come to Disney. I'm not going to buy Disney Plus till you change. And that change is happening. We're winning. It's happening slowly, no doubt. Didn't happen overnight to get here. Won't happen overnight to get back. But it is indeed happening. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.